Thanks for tuning back in to Organic Matters. For this portion of the show, let's talk about the what's now become known as the mega drought for the United States. And the mega drought, folks, just is not going to just end. Science now shows it's probably going to change the, the complexion of our land here in our country, if not forever, for, for a long, long time to come. Patterns of drought and deluge are common throughout history, but human-driven climate change is now known to be disrupting these cycles, making it much more difficult to predict exactly how the current mega drought in the south and the southwestern part of North America will end. Just as a little food for thought, this current drought began for Kent Norman when he was two years old. Farming's in his blood. His family has worked the land in the area of Stockton, California for generations. But in the last two decades, it's created one of the most severe droughts in the region's history. Over the course of his life, southwestern Northern America, which is where he has become drier than it has been as, in his, as far as we know in recorded history, is at least for over a thousand years. This year, the Normans Water District didn't receive its usual water allocations from what's known as the Central Valley Project, a critical irrigation network that distributes water to 1.2 million hectares, folks, hectares a couple acres each, a lot of land, of farmland. Unable to irrigate with surface water, Norman says his family has been kind of overall pretty lucky. They were allowed to pump water for their 590 hectares from an existing well. Still, the water table has declined to the extent that at least one of their wells has gone completely dry. As groundwater levels drop, we have to pay more and more for electricity to pump less and less water, he says. You should know, folks, every single county in California is now under drought emergency proclamation. This year, half of all Californian farmers were unable to harvest crops because they didn't mature due to water stress. Increasing American food prices, of course. Reservoirs like Lake Mead are drying up. Lake Mead's in real trouble, folks. We'll talk about that later. And the land itself is now sinking as drying soils contract. In some places, probably permanently, reducing the amount of water that can be stored even if we get our water sources back in the future. Currently, the trend is toward a much more arid environment under global warming, particularly in the American Southwest. You've realized it's a bit difficult to define the start and the end of a mega drought. It's kind of a tricky thing because a drought can be defined by different variables, including precipitation changes, soil moisture, or other aspects of a hydrological cycle. But by any measure that we use, the western U.S. is deep, deep, deep into an abnormally dry period. When current researchers try to establish how mega droughts end, they often look back at past geological periods for clues. A recurring pattern in the tropical Pacific Ocean known as El Nino, or the Southern Oscillation, which brings predictable shifts in ocean surface temperatures and rainfall, known as both on opposite points, the La Nina and El Nino, is known to play a big role in the swings between dry decades and wet decades. Lots of successive La Ninas give really dry periods. Lots of predominant El Ninos give really wet periods. Just as an aside, folks, this appears to be the third year in a row we've had La Nina, again, contributing to this mega drought. 
little quick, uh, I guess, definition of each. El Nino. Basically, every two to about seven years, a pattern of warm water across the tropical Pacific develops when the west blowing trade winds are weak. This pattern is connected with drier conditions in the western Pacific and wetter conditions in North America and the Pacific, especially the coast of South America. La Nina, which we're currently in, again, for three years in a row, pretty unusual, is a strong trade wind that brings warm water to the west as cold water wells up in the east. This pattern is connected with drier conditions in the south and southwestern North America and the Pacific coast and along that coast of South America. And yes, folks, we know, because a lot of people claim we don't know what's going on, mega droughts themselves are a part of natural cycles in the western North America and have been for a long time. In the last thousand years, the worst period stretched from about 1100 to the years 1100 to 1300. This may have caused, incidentally, the collapse of the whole ancient Puebloan civilizations because it lasted so long. This was probably the cause of the collapse of the ancient Puebloan civilizations, including the abandonment of the Mesa Verde settlements in what is now known as southwestern Colorado. Similar historic patterns can be seen globally around, oh, 4,000, 4,200 years ago. A mega drought appears to have stretched from the Indus Valley in South Asia all the way across Spain. And research shows that sometimes the climate pattern shifts are dramatic, swinging from extended drought straight to very, very waterlogged intervals. By the middle of the 14th century, we know, for example, heavy rainfall had returned back to the American West. To add a new word to your vocabulary, the word pluvials, P-L-U-V-I-L-S, are just a fancy word for the name wet periods. And in the way we're talking, they're sort of the yin to the mega droughts, yang, in other words, the super wet periods, as opposed to the super, super dry periods. A study published in Science Advances this past August did warn us that based on long-term trends, California is way overdue for what would be considered a catastrophic flood event in spite of the fact that it's super dry right now. A severe event that science thinks may dump from as little as 30 inches to as much as over 100 inches of rain in parts of California, including the San Francisco area and in the mountains. Yet, as a climate change disrupts these natural cycles, past patterns have no longer accurately predicted future conditions because sea surface temperatures and ocean circulation are changing. Although scientists currently debate whether they will enhance or moderate how dry the Southwest will become. To some extent, it's kind of insignificant because what's really dividing the aridification trend is increased temperatures themselves. Warmer temperatures will spur evaporation from soil and plants, while hotter air can hold on to more moisture. The impact is so dramatic that even climate models which suggest the region's precipitation will increase by at least 10% still predict overall a parched future. For those of us hoping for a soggier weather, uh, may, it may finally be around the corner, we're probably going to get disappointed. In a paper that was published in Nature just this year, which was reconstructed around soil moisture records since AD 800, since way back in 800, and predicted there was a 75% chance that the current mega drought will last for at least another six to eight years. Even if it's really wet, for instance, next year, that just won't end the overall drought. 
because the reservoir capacities will probably take several of those wetter years just to recover on their own. Based on what we currently know in the future, what we'd consider really dry now is probably going to be considered normal by today's standards. We're just going to, by our definition now, be in drought all the time. This drift toward multiple and simultaneous extremes will make hazards even more difficult to plan for. You got to think about it. Even during extreme severe droughts, we may still get very intense rainstorms, but the impacts could be more severe because the ground is going to be even more dried out. Some computer models even show folks the likelihood that catastrophic fires would be closely followed by extremely heavy rains, a combination that would cause dangerous flash floods and mudslides. It appears from these models that the risk would increase by about eight times in the Pacific Northwest and at least double in California by the end of this current century. This moving baseline stuff is going to require a lot of thinking, folks. Our idea of what we expect should and probably will be continuously changing. Honestly, California may not see a true end of the current mega drought, even if it begins to rain again. It might not mean going back to what we call the same amount of moisture available when this mega drought started, because what is normal has now shifted during this last two decades. According to some scientists, it appears we're already outside of those bounds. We're not going to go back to what was normal in the 80s, maybe ever. At least, or not until, we start doing something about climate change, folks. A lot of the science and people in the West out there are starting to realize that things are going to need to change sooner than they had anticipated. It just seems, folks, that the land is just becoming a dust bowl. Some of the proposed tactics include switching to what we call water-limited cropping or switching to crops that can be flexible in and when and how much irrigation they need when necessary. Storing more water in the ground through techniques that help recharge aquifers could also be part uh, of the key to success. However, we know none of these changes are going to be easy. Farmers have had many fixed costs and the decision to abandon fields that can't be watered or to switch to less water-intensive crops with lower price points is going to eat into the thin profit margins they already live on. New problems are likely to also show up. If flood irrigation becomes less common, salt can build up in the soils, of course harming yields even for crops that need less water. For instance, in the Sacramento Valley, rice farms have replaced many wetlands. So if the fields lay idle, migratory birds are probably going to lose critical feeding grounds in large areas of that part of the state. Many are already feeling the impacts out west there. Last year, drought removed about 162,000 hectares, 300,000 acres of land, folks, from agriculture in California alone, cutting at least 14,000 jobs and resulting in about one point. Of course, government support could help farmers shift where and what they plant, keeping roots in the ground and improving air quality. But there will be a lot of harder choices to make. But the rubber is going to start hitting the road pretty doggone quick, folks. Something's got to happen in the near future. And once more, I got to say here, folks, one thing we got to do, and we're still not doing it. As a matter of fact, we're about to, we've just put a bunch of new laws in action again that could help us work on climate change that a particular number of people in the government already want to rescind. There's a lot of anxiety about 
what they're witnessing by when it all comes to fruition, folks. The solution is not to do nothing, but in fact to work harder and more earnestly and more exactly. And what we've got to work the hardest on is to make sure the worst doesn't come to pass and start addressing the true problem, which still gets back to a thing that I've talked about. Climate change, used to call it global warming, call it whatever you want, folks. We've got to do something about it. And, and every time we make a law to get it going, somebody wants to rescind it. They don't want to look down the road. But think about it this way. The longer we wait, the shorter that road's getting, the more dramatic and the more uh, devastating it's going to be. We need to act now. It's going to cost money, but it's going to save money in the long run. Lots of it. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters. <laughs>